So Money is brought to you by CNET, the site that shows how to navigate change all around us. So Money episode 1334, Launching Financial Grownups with author Bobby Rebel. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. We're there to support them. We're there to consult with them and give them advice and give them feedback. And most importantly, to listen, but we have to learn to let go. And that's been a tough thing for our generation because we have been so involved in our kids' lives. And to some degree, it's so much of our own identity. I mean, you're a parent of young kids. I bet you refer to some people as so-and-so's mommy. Welcome to So Money, everybody. I'm Farnoosh Tarabi. If you're a parent in the audience with a child who is on her way to college or has graduated from college in the real world, you want to listen to this episode because so often we do talk about raising money-savvy kids, You know what to do with your kids when they're 10 years old, eight years old. But what do you do when your kid's 22? Do you have a responsibility still as a caregiver, as a parent to guide them, to tell them about your own mistakes, your own successes, and help them open up their 401k? Our guest today, Bobby Rebel, says absolutely. Her book, Launching Financial Grownups, talks about how to live your richest life, you, the parent, by helping your almost adult kids become everyday money smart. Bobby is a certified financial planner, financial financial expert. She's been on the show many times. And she'll admit, even with her CFP, even with her career dedicated to business and financial journalism, she had some rough patches there teaching her kids about money. And not just when they were young, but when they were older. She shares her lessons learned and advice for parents on how to level with your adult children and why it's important to even let our adult children make some mistakes. Here's Bobby Rebel. Bobby Rebel, welcome back to So Money. I have been waiting for this moment. Your new book is finally out, Launching Financial Grownups. Welcome and congrats. Thank you so much. Yes, long time coming. We've talked about this and I'm so excited to finally share it with everybody. Yes, because we need this advice more than ever. My kids are still younger. They're in their elementary ages. But at what point should a parent pick this book up? So the good news for you and parents of younger kids is there are tons of great books out there for parents of younger kids. One of the people I spoke to for this book is Ron Lieber, who wrote The Opposite of Spoiled. So there's stuff out there for you. But for me, as a parent of older kids, I found there was really nothing out there. And even though I had been a global business news anchor, I wrote a personional finance column for Reuters. I am a certified financial planner. Okay. I should, I know the stuff on paper. I was failing fabulously with my own young adult children and I really couldn't find a resource out there. So I decided I needed to look into this. And what I did have is access to incredible experts. And so I tapped into my expert network, not just money experts though, and not even just parenting experts, but even people like financial therapists are in this book because so much of this is about mindset and the tone that you use when you speak to your teenagers and young adults, how you approach things and relationships. It's not just about knowing what to do on paper because that's easier. The harder thing is actually getting your young adults to do the things 
in a way that brings you closer to them, not farther away. You never want to be so harsh and, you know, just sort of have these arbitrary milestones and be like, bye-bye. Um, you love your kids. You want them to to grow up and be adults, but have the family still be really close. Well, we'll get into some of those mistakes that you made and the lessons <laughs> learned, but maybe we could take a step back and have you explain a little bit what you discovered about the parent-adult-child dynamic today, uh, different than maybe what we experienced growing up with our parents. I was reading through the book this morning and there's a quote where uh, someone says, we want our, to have these you know, financially independent children at the same time. We don't want them to make mistakes. So there's this tension, there's like this irony. Tell us what you learned about this dynamic and, and the challenges that it then presents when we try to help our kids become financial grownups. That is so such a great quote. And it's really alluding to the fact that we have been, many of us have been helicopter parents, snowplow parents, where we kind of carve the path for them as they go to college. And we're calling up a professor and or the, the high school teacher and saying, can you give them another shot at this, at this grade? And as they grow older, we even become concierge parents, I like to say, because we are now money gets into the mix where we can solve a problem. Just like if you're on vacation and the con- you want to have a special restaurant or certain, you know, outing, the concierge can make it happen through the magic of connections and money. And we as parents need to step need to take a step back and let our kids grow up and become the adults that they want to be. And a lot of that has to do with letting them do it themselves, letting them know that, sure, we have expectations and hopes and dreams for them, but we also have confidence in them that they have the confidence to do adult things for themselves. And we're there to support them. We're there to consult with them and give them advice and give them feedback. And most importantly, to listen, but we have to learn to let go. And that's been a tough thing for our generation because we have been so involved in our kids' lives. And to some degree, it's so much of our own identity. I mean, you're a parent of young kids. I bet you refer to some people as so-and-so's mommy or Mm so-and-so's dad, Mm -hmm. not by their first name. And you might not even know their last name. You might not even know what their job is. I mean, We've had moments on, you know, the sidelines of the soccer field where we discover like so-and-so's dad is actually, you know, this famous person or this highly accomplished person, but we've only known them as, you know, Johnny's dad, because we are that closely tied in our identity to our children and their accomplishments. We need to step back a little. I'll never forget when I discovered <laughs> that little Ben in Evan's preschool, his mom is Laura Linney. That was, yeah. a, that was a moment. Know. Right. And you might have even been talking to her in sweats and T-shirts with, you know, no makeup. Yeah. She's like, hi, I'm Laura. I'm like, yeah, I know. I know. Yeah. So yeah. Crazy. Uh, this is just, you know, New York. It wasn't really a fancy school. It was just New York. Um, <laughs> no, so, but, you're, but you're corresponding with these people and you only know them by their association with their children. And as our children get older, we have to kind of be like, okay, we're more than our child's parent and they are their own person. Let them be their person. But Bobby, how about the pandemic? You saw so many college age and even 20-something, 30-something-year-old kids moving back in with their parents out of necessity uh, during the pandemic. So you have multi-generations, again, in one household. Did that how did that defeat uh, some of the work that was in place trying to raise these financial grownups? Now your kid's back and, you know, not paying for food or rent or all the other things. How did that shake out? Oh my goodness. So this was a fascinating sort of social experiment. And I was already writing the book when this happened. So I'm writing the book and going, wait, how is this going to change things? 
when they first moved back, remember those signs for our news that said 15 days to stop the spread, right? So Mm -hmm. they were coming home. We thought it was a week or two. So your kids coming home for a week or two, it's like a vacation. It's like they're coming home from college. Maybe they already have a job, but it's short term. So we, as parents, we're like treating them as children from before they left. So if your kid might be 24, but the last time they lived at home full time was when they're 17, you regress to that. That's what happened a lot. As you said, we're paying for their meals. They're not paying rent. They're not really contributing. We're doing their laundry. We've regressed. But the pandemic went on and on and on. And you know what? The relationships for the most part matured because the parents were like, wait a second, we want our lives back. Hold on. they're, They're almost adults. They are adults. They're, you know, they're in the basement working 10 hours a day. A lot of parents observed that their kids had real jobs and they had a new appreciation, by the way, for their own kids' accomplishments and the fact that their kids had developed their own lives. And remember, the kids were not moving home in many cases for financial distress. It wasn't that the kid, you know, normally a kid moves right. home in financial distress and, or in our generation, they would have called us slackers. They were moving home because of the pandemic. So it was a unique situation. And what really evolved over time, it's fascinating, is relationships matured to the point where many parents could then talk directly or sometimes just because the kids were around, the kids learned more about their own finances and seeing that the parents' financial lives had not been perfect. And that maybe the parents have their own financial challenges. And maybe the kid shouldn't be asking them to pay for X, Y, and Z, because they have to fund their own retirement and seeing their parents as adults going through midlife and beyond and what was on their parents' plate going ahead. So it really, for many families, benefited them in having a much more open discussion and a much more real understanding of each generation's financial goals, expectations, and challenges. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but that's certainly it would be the case because we these are, you know, individuals who weren't spending, you know, the daytime the daytime hours together. You saw your parents on spring break or on the weekends and uh, not during office hours. Certainly gives everybody more yeah. perspective and maybe even some more empathy. Yeah, I mean, it's almost like a long distance relationship. You pop in, you have a few great dates and you see each other, but you don't really get to know the person a lot of the time when you're suddenly living with your parents. And remember what was also fascinating in my own family, uh, we we moved out of the city for a little bit in the real height of it. And, and we were in the suburbs with my son who was now, he was then 12. And then my stepkids who were like, I want to say 23 and 21. And we suddenly didn't have activities to go to all the time. We had never really had family dinners because of the <laughs> staggered schedules. And I remember we sat down for dinner the first night in the suburban house. And it was so weird because it wasn't like Thanksgiving. It wasn't, you know, a holiday or Mother's Day. It was Day. a Tuesday. It was yeah. just, Tuesday. it was Taco Tuesday. And, you know, and we're making food on the barbecue because God, we were terrified to go out. I mean, we were wiping down food at this point. Let's not forget. So we're, ha- and we don't know how long we're going to be there, but uh, maybe we thought it was 15 days at the time, but we suddenly had dinner together and we liked it. And my son talked about it. He's like, this is so cool. We're all here at the table together. The room we were in didn't have a TV that was on. There's a little TV in the corner, but it was, you know, quiet kitchen. And it was fascinating. And I think what happened for a lot of families was they started talking because they weren't running to all these activities. I mean, we as parents spend so much time getting our kids from place A to place B and everyone's on these different schedules. We suddenly had time to get to know each other at a different level. And with older kids, that really happened. They, they sort of were there with their parents as adults. Mm-hmm. 
So let's go back to you said, you know, you made a plenty of mistakes and there were challenges. What was your biggest challenge with your adult children as far as driving home some of the important financial principles that you wanted them to embrace? <laughs> take us take us to those moments or just one moment. Yeah. Well, first of all, I'm sure there will be many more to come. There's always things that, you know, are sort of judgment calls, but it's important to understand that your kids, and this is in my case, this is what happened. They will say they're on it. They will yes you to death. They may. But in my case, very often they were not. They thought they were. They weren't lying to me. They thought they were. So an example would be my stepdaughter got this amazing job out of college and she had all the corporate benefits. And when I started a job, an HR person sat down with me in person and said, okay, let's sign you up for the 401k. Let's walk through your stuff. Now they get a link to a web page very often. I think they could, in theory, ask for a meeting, but this is what happens. They get a, a link and they would have to take it upon themselves to really comb through it. And a lot of the time, they're just not going to do it. They're going to do it tomorrow and tomorrow doesn't come. But my 25-year-old, she's 22 at the time, Ashley. So she she knew because she got information from me. She knew she was on it with a 401k. She was interested in buying her own home. So she had really planned what things would cost. So she was proactive and proudly came to me I signed up for the 401k. I did put in the max, mat, the, the maximum to get the match because she really wanted to put money in other places for a home. But she, you know, was very proud, even though it was really going to pinch her initially. And I said, okay, what was it invested in? And she says, it's all set. It's in there. I told you I'm going out with my friends. I said, Let me see. And she finally grudgingly opens up the computer and shows me. And of course it's not invested in anything. And I explained to her that we have to do that. And she's you know, got one foot out the door and I picked a fund for her. I said, well, you know, she said, well, what, what should I do? Fine. I picked an equity, you know, diversified, um, basically an equity index fund that would be low cost. I tried to explain it to her. She's nodding. Yes, yes, yes. I said, I want you to press the button and choose it. And she pressed the button to choose it. That's important. Let them drive at the computer. And you know what she chose? Not the one I picked because she said, so let's call it ABC fund company. She just saw that I chose a fund at ABC Fund Company. Well, there were eight funds from this company. She chose the fixed income one when I had told her the equity one. Again, she's 22. We're looking at 50 years here. And she, you know, you don't know that she's going back in here to ever change it. But to her, she only saw, well, you said to pick an ABC fund. I said, no. I said to pick the equity fund. I roll. Fine. It's fixed. Off she went. <laughs> But, you know, I don't know when I'm ever getting back in there, but I'm really happy that I know at least she's in something. Is she in the absolute best one? Should we have researched it more? Of course, but it's good enough. And it's really important that you, it's not about not believing them because they're telling you the truth. They do believe that they're invested and maybe your kid did do everything to the end, but they might not. So, you know, do a check. That's a time when it's okay to be a little bit of a helicopter parent and just mm -hmm. do those check-ins now when they're young, because you may never get that password to get back into that account and check yeah. on them. Well, I don't know. I think that sounds like parent of the year to me uh, to get your <laughs> your daughter set up for retirement. Oh. I'll tell you one thing my mother did when I was in my 20s, actually more like college. She, you know, you call your kids every week. We had a standing phone call every Sunday or Saturday. I don't remember what now, but without a doubt, she would ask me, how are you doing financially? 
she would ask. Oh, I love that. Really? Mm-hmm. But where was your money coming from? So they gave me a budget every month. Uh-huh. My parents in freshman year, I, I didn't have a job on campus, but I later did had many jobs on campus. And because what they gave me was so little, <laughs> I was like, I need more. Maybe that's a good tip. Like get your kid on like a really strict budget uh, so that they are inspired to go out and earn their own money. Um, but yeah, I remember she would ask and just, it wasn't because she was fishing to find out if I needed more money and she was going to give it to me. It was because she wanted to keep me accountable to the money that I had uh, gotten from them earlier in the month and just wanted to make sure that I was budgeting and that I wasn't going to call in a, in an emergency in three days. And, and she just wanted to, um, it was a check-in. It was a really good check-in. It was a little bit of a guilt trip, but I think it, Hey, it did its job. And so much so that the following year I got, I started working. My parents, we talked about money a lot at home, but that doesn't mean that all the conversations were great. It was, it was good. Do you have tips about how parents can let their kids feel like it's cool to be money minded as your daughter was heading out to be with her friends that night? I would be so curious to be a fly on the wall. Like, do they ever talk about money when they get together? And to be that friend who would go there is kind of a cool friend. This is so interesting because a lot of the financial pressures these days come from their peers and through social media. And they often feel like they should be living a lifestyle that is not even real. So that's an important thing to talk about. I mean, when mm-hmm. it comes to my kids, they're, they've grown up with me talking about money. So there's some eye rolls, but there's also, they already kind of know a lot. Um, especially the last two years writing this book. And it's very interesting because my favorite part of the book is the epilogue, which Ashley wrote. And so I encourage everyone to kind of skip ahead and read that. And one of the hardest things I had to do was not change a word, Mm. even though there were things that I was like, oh, do you want to say it that way? Say it that way. But I think it's really important to give them credit for probably being more interested in money than you assume they have a lot more information than our generation did. And I think that many of them are a lot more money savvy than we were. That is different from separating financially from their parents. So they might be very savvy and understand, you know, how to budget and how to invest. That doesn't mean they're not going to hit you up for money ongoing forever. If you don't sort of stop it, they're kind of two separate things, but there's a lot of information out there. What you need to do is make sure that they understand how to put it in context. So for example, a lot of them are on discord and Reddit and they might get information there about things to invest in. And you have to not judge that, but also help them process it and put it in perspective and understand who the source is. So Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So basically what I'm saying is I think there is interest in money out there. I think they're interested, but you need to kind of harness that into ways that are productive for them and they're going to serve them and understand that a lot of the things they see on social media are rented. And by the way, renting can make tremendous sense when it comes to certain things. I mean, I've done very well with rent the runway and things like that. And renting, you know, your first apartment can make a lot of sense if you think you're going to move around or whatever it may be. So I'm not anti-renting, but understand that when you see images on social media, someone might've been given that to promote it. And so you have to put things into context for them. Very fun thing, though, that I've gotten a lot of joy from is so now that my stepdaughter, Ashley, who's now 25, she owns her own apartment. She lived at home for two years. And I talk about that in the book to save the money for not just the apartment, but also the, uh, the not just the down payment, but also the um, 
the uh, closing costs, which were a big thing. We were really nervous. What do we do as parents if she doesn't have the closing costs? Because you don't want to have a problem at that moment when she's so close to the finish line. Thankfully, she did. Um, but she will show me texts from her friends that say things that just mortify her about money. And she really like takes pride in like one of her friends. So she lived at home for two years and she had a lot of friends that lived at home for two years because of the pandemic, but also because that was going to happen anyway, because you get out of school and this group happened to generally not have school debt, but there's a lot of debt out there. There's a lot of good reasons to move home. I mean, we were called oh, yeah. slackers if we moved home. I think it's smart to move home and live rent free for a year or two and bank your money. I don't know why that was considered not a good thing. It's the best thing for so many kids, but so this, this friend has been living at home also for two years. She actually had moved out, bought her own apartment, but she's showing me texts from a friend basically saying, the only way I'm ever getting out of here is if my parents write me a check for the down payment. And she was like, that's so sad. Thank you for not doing that to me. Yeah. I mean, and you know, the friend has just been living at home, but hasn't had an exit strategy or a savings plan. And so the money is just going in and out the door and it's very sad. She's, she's sad for her friend. And she's also thankful now as she sits in her own, look, her apartment is age appropriate. It's not some, it's a little tiny little you know, studio with a yeah, wall. My first apartment that I bought was 400 square feet, 400 That's, square yeah. feet. It's all I could afford. But you have a quote in your book from St. Elmo's Fire. One of the actresses says like, I got up in the middle of the night and made myself a PB&J. It was my own bread, my yep. own jelly, my own kitchen. It was the best peanut butter and jelly sandwich I had in my life. Um, yep. You know, sticking with this theme of, you know, parents and adult children, there's some reconciliations that have to happen. Parents need to entrust their kids a little bit more. I also feel like there is, because I hear from audience listeners who are in the 20s cohort, 20s, early 30s, and they're like, my parents are really pressuring me to do finance the way they did it, you know, to buy a home, open up the 401k. And I think that the, this current generation is a little skeptical of some of that old timey advice, not to take sides here, but what do you think about how families can work better together when there are these ideological differences? And I don't blame the millennials, for example, for having this uh, aversion in some cases to the financial system, the traditional financial system. It's not always inclusive. It doesn't always make you money. Real estate, especially this generation, they grew up maybe seeing their parents lose their homes, lose mm -hmm. their 401ks became 201ks. So there's like some built-in skepticism. What's your advice there? Or what are, what are, how did you maybe deal with that? If that was even the case in your household? I love this question. And I love this discussion. One of my favorite interviews in the book is a woman named Tori Dunlop, who is known for her moniker as her first 100K. She's very big on TikTok. Everyone check her out. Um, but she, and she's in her twenties, I want to say, maybe she turned 30, but she's, she's young. And she gave me a lot of perspective about their side, what you're just talking about. And she said, it's so important to listen to what they're saying and hear them and not judge them and let them find their own path. And, you know, we have stereotypes, like they want experiences, not things. Well, there's something to be said for that. Um, there's something to be said also for giving them the space to what we think might be a mistake, but maybe won't be. I mean, so for example, in the book, I talk about, um, or I don't know if you know her, Jen Barrett, she wrote um, the book, How to Think Like a Breadwinner. Yeah. So Jen talks about her, she told me about her son and he literally was making 
investments, investments in quotes, in, I guess you call it the metaverse. And she, he was buying like, like not think they're like things in the computer. I don't even know what you call them. This is how I'm showing how old I am. <laughs> you can like, buy land and like real estate. NFT, right, yeah. exactly. And he's like flipping it. And she's like, I'm mortified, but he's making so much money. So it's like, how do you, wow. we can't judge them. We have to say to them, look, this is risky. Understand the risks, right? Be honest about your, you know, your um, ability to manage risk. And again, they're so young at this point that if they put 5% of their portfolio into whatever we consider bananas, whether it's NFTs, people obviously are having different comfort levels with cryptocurrency, let them do their thing. They have time on their side, but also invite them to learn about some traditional things like dollar cost averaging and diversification. And most of all, I really stress risk understand your Mm -hmm. risk tolerance, because if they win, win, win at the beginning, they may not understand that the market always goes up. What's happening Mm -hmm. now with the market, while a lot of people are not happy about it, there's terrible reasons it's happening, is at least, you know, creating an idea that, you know, the past two years are not the norm, how much the market has gone up, that you're not guaranteed. So my stepson, who's now graduated from college, he, because he had more time, he put a lot of the money he earned as a teenager into you know, the stock market, a lot of technology investments while the daughter was, you know, putting in savings because she wanted to buy, she really wanted to own a home. Bradley, not necessarily as much for different reasons. He did really well in the market. And now he's like, oh, wait, it's not up every time I look at my accounts. So right. let let reality solve the problems. You don't have to go in and lecture them that, oh, no, don't let, let it play out. Let them live the experience. I mean, I once had the opportunity to invest in an IPO and I always thought I had a higher risk tolerance than I did. And when you start seeing that stock soaring on the first day, and I did sell some at the top and then it crashed and I basically came out even, but I learned a lot about my risk tolerance not being as strong as it was. And let them learn that. Step back a little. Right. Let them make those mistakes in a relatively safe way. You yeah. know, like they're not betting their whole portfolio. Basically advice that I follow, right? I mean, I tell people if you want to invest in Bitcoin or the NFT of the day, fine. But let's also be thoughtful about mm-hmm. how we're doing it, realizing that there's a lot of, of risk, more risk than in that way than, uh, you know, an index fund. So just mix it up, make sure you're mixing it up because you don't, why would you throw the baby out with the bathwater, right? Like this is a startling statistic. I'm sure you came across it where it was like CNBC or somewhere. They said the majority of millennials that are what you call like millionaires, like I guess their their net assets are mm-hmm. in the millions. They're in crypto. They're not in four hundred one ks. They're not in real estate. They're not in index funds. They're in crypto. And I don't care what the investment is. I don't care if it's you know the hottest tech stock. I'm not going a hundred percent in. You know, I had a guest on this show who said that's even worse than gambling. Gamblers are even smarter than that. They don't go all in on one thing, you know, they because they know that you have to you have to diversify. Even if you're really optimistic, put a little bit in. Yeah, I totally uh, agree. But, you know, look, and, and let them learn them, learn their mistakes. Also realize the stakes are very different for them at this point. I mean, look, you, we have all the, the math that we can show that if you put in a very small amount when you're very young and you let it just grow, it's going to be a lot easier for you. But at the same time, the stakes are usually very low. If you're talking about these young adults, 16 to 26, they often do not have people that are dependent on them financially. So it's a good time to take a risk. They often, you know, you know, they're paying down student debt in some cases, but they don't have overhead 
that they might have in midlife. So let them live their lives and learn their lessons for themselves. And by the way, they might be right about some things. I don't say you should never put hundred percent in any investment. That's diversification that we're going to teach them. But one of those investments can be crypto. I mean, look, Warren Buffett for years, I don't know if it's still true. He said he didn't invest in technology because he didn't understand it. Well, he missed out on a lot of things and he's Warren Buffett. I mean, he's pretty smart. It doesn't mean he's not super smart, but you know, that's us with crypto to some degree. That doesn't mean crypto won't be a very mainstream investment you know, when their children are coming up. So we have to give them that space and also realize that their values are very different. I mean, my stepdaughter happened to really want to own a home when she was a teenager and she worked towards that goal. I have not heard a peep about it from my stepson. And we don't know. We'll see what he wants to do. You have to really help them do what they want to do. It's their goals. I mean, they are the main characters in their story and you are a supporting character and you have to learn to step into the scene when it's appropriate, but also, you know, take your leave, you know, walk off stage when you, not off stage completely, but you can you're the stage in the background. Like, you're, exactly. This is your line. You're forgetting your line. This exactly. is your line. You're, you're <laughs> with a little prompt when they need it, you know, you're setting up the props. Exactly. Yeah. But they have to, you have to, I, I love the quote that you gave from St. Elmo's Fire. I mean, it's, it's just really true. Let the, they want to be adults and it's up to us to let go. We're so identified with our kids that we aren't letting ourselves see them as the grownups that they are. Bobby Rebel, thank you so much. I'm keeping this book in a nice, safe place. I'll <laughs> reference it over the years. Congratulations. Your book again is called Launching Financial Grownups. Live your richest life by helping your almost adult kids become everyday money smart. Forward by our friend, David Bach. Yes. Yay, David Bach. Thank you. Thanks so much to Bobby for joining us. Her book, again, is called Launching Financial Grownups. She's giving away some free copies of the book. If you go to bobbyrebell.com, that's B-O-B-B-I-R-E-B-E-L-L.com, you can go to enter for that giveaway. Stay tuned for our Friday episode. We'll be talking about all things investing and women as our month-long partnership with Prudential continues. Thanks for tuning in, and I hope your day is so money. 